We'll hear our argument next in number 008452, Daryl Renard-Atkins v. Vir- Spectators are admonished, do not talk until you get out of the courtroom. The court is still in session. Mr. Ellis. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. In 1989, this Court, surveying the already growing evidence from a variety of sources that the people of this country opposed the execution of individuals with mental retardation, observed that that growing sentiment might someday be manifested in legislation, particularly by the states, which this Court identified as the sort of evidence upon which it typically can rely in Eighth Amendment cases. The evidence is now clear that the American people in every region of the country have reached a consensus on that question. By every measurement, and through a course of legislative enactments that is literally unprecedented in the field of capital punishment. What is your definition of a consensus, Mr. Ellis? Mr. Chief Justice, I would define consensus, and this Court has discussed it in various terms in the cases, but I would distill from the cases in which the Court has described it that it is when the American people have reached a settled judgment based on moral consensus. Yes, but that's a perfectly sound phrase. But how do we go about figuring out when that occurs? I mean, how many states must be on a particular side? Does the population make any difference? How about those factors? Your Honor, there has never been a suggestion by this Court that it differentiates among states with regard to size, and yet, obviously, logically, if a collection of statutes only was found in the smallest of the states or the states of a single particular region, it would cut against the evidence that there was a consensus. And how many states out of the 50 do you need, do you think, for a consensus? This Court has never suggested that there's a particular number in response to that. And you look at the cases, both that have found a consensus and that have not, they vary. But you're saying there is a consensus, so you must have some figure that you're submitting to us. I'm not submitting on the basis of a figure, Your Honor. I'm suggesting that what read in their entirety, the Court's cases talking about consensus seem closer to us to be a totality of the evidence test, but with a requirement that that evidence across the board have found expression unambiguously in statute. Should we not look at legislative enactments as the surest indicator of what the view of the particular state is? Yes, Your Honor, I think that you should, and I took that to be the teaching of this Court's opinion in the first Penry case. And looking at that, where do we stand today? We have how many states have no death penalty at all? Is it 12? It's roughly 12. It in part depends on how Vermont is counted. And how many states have now enacted legislation providing that a retarded person may not suffer the death penalty? There are now 18 states as compared to the two that were on the books or were about to go on the books in the case of Maryland when this Court decided the Penry case. Of course, not all of those 18 feel so strongly that it is unconstitutional to execute someone with reduced mental capacity that they are willing to apply that to people who have already been sentenced. How many of those 18 states have adopted that law only prospectively? A number of them. Again, there's a categorization. Quite a few. That doesn't bespeak such an intransigent view that this is unconstitutional. I mean, you say, well, you know, we won't do it in the future, but this person's already been tried and convicted. You know, go ahead. Does that suggest to you that I think it's really unconstitutional or just that I think it's a good idea in the future not to do it? I guess I would characterize, Justice Scalia, the statutes not as having concluded that the practice was unconstitutional, but instead that it was unacceptable. 
Um, but that well, still leaves your point. No, it doesn't say — it just says it's not desirable. Uh, that's all the statute suggests, it seems to me. And I, I thought when you were talking about a consensus, you're talking about a consensus that something is so uh, so terrible that it should not be permitted. And these states are permitting it. Um, They're just I, not going to do it in the future. Uh, I, I would respectfully suggest that they have not reached that judgment. Uh, in the bulk of the states that have prospective-only language, that is to say a, a, some kind of bar, and it varies among the statutes, to looking backward to cases already decided, in the bulk of those cases, it was clear that there was no one with mental retardation currently uh, under sentence of death in that state. And so passing a statute that would encompass people on uh, death row in that state would have been uh, unnecessary in the view of legislators and might have... How do we know that? How do we know that? The, the discussion in uh, the... Le- in state legislatures, there isn't legislative history um, uh, in quite the way there is in Congress, which people Pity. feel different. I was going to say, this must be a source of substantial <laughs> disappointment. Um, uh, but but, but what, what evidence we have comes from recordings of the debates uh, and, in particular, journalistic accounts from, from those debates. Um, it, it is clear from those uh, that, the, that the concern uh, of treating differently people who have been sentenced to death previously and those who would face uh, a capital trial prospectively uh, was not a, a principal concern. And it, I, I'm trying to come up with a state in which it was known that there was someone who had mental retardation on death row. The only state in which I might have reached that conclusion, there had already been a judgment by another court that the individual involved, it was in Arkansas, uh, didn't have mental retardation. Mr. Ellis, would, would, you, would you agree, uh, you, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not sure, assuming I agree that, that when there is a, 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 a new consensus that the Constitution means something it didn't mean before uh, the Constitution means that new thing, assuming I agree with that. You, you must agree that, that we have to be very careful about finding new consensuses, don't you? Because we can't go back. I mean, if we find a consensus here that uh, it is indeed unconstitutional to execute the mentally retarded. And then it turns out that uh, there are a lot of problems, that uh, indeed in every case, every capital case, there's going to be a claim of mental retardation, and people come to believe that in many of these cases you you get expert witnesses, you can easily get them on on both sides. People become dissatisfied with it. We won't be able to go back, will we? Because the evidence of the consensus is supposed to be legislation. And once we've decided that you cannot legislate the execution of the mentally retarded, there can't be any legislation that enables us to go back. So we better be very careful about the national consensus before we come to such a judgment, don't you think? I I would agree with you, Justice Scalia, that, as the Court has said in various ways in several of the cases, that that the proponents of the view that there is a consensus bear an extraordinarily heavy burden of demonstration. But the particular concerns that you raise about the possibility that sentiment um, might, especially in the, in the presence of experience enacting a statute, swing the other way, while theoretically possible, is not borne out by the experience in the 18 states, but in particular in the states that enacted uh, some years ago. Well, but uh, Justice Scalia's basic premise that it's a one-way ratchet is correct. Uh, this Court has not had, had occasion to uh, address that uh, in particular. The closest, I suppose, that it has come is the Court confronting the ambiguity with regard to the execution uh, of individuals below the age of 16 and, and the, the presumption that the Court reached in the face of that ambiguity. Well, Mr. But Ellis, logically, it has to be one-way ratchet. Logically, it has to be, because a consensus cannot be manifested. States cannot constitutionally pass any laws allowing the execution of the mentally retarded once once we agree with you that it's unconstitutional. That is the end of it. We will never be able to go back because there will never be any legislation that can reflect a changed consensus. Chris, isn't it true that every new constitutional holding is a one-way ratchet in exactly the same way? N- not only in the area of the Eighth Amendment, but in others as well. Um, I, we, we could all imagine ways in which dissatisfaction with the ruling um, might manifest itself. Mr. If it Ellis, I, I guess there's no uh, uniform determination of uh, 
when someone should be regarded as mentally retarded, the standards probably vary somewhat from state to state, do they not? Uh, Justice O'Connor, they vary remarkably little. The definitions are not uh, framed in exactly uh, identical forms because often states have adopted the definition that they employ for disability benefits purposes or guardianship purposes or um, I guess commitment. The, my point is even if this court were to say that it's unconstitutional to uh, execute a person who's mentally retarded, presumably it would still be open to the state to determine whether that individual is mentally retarded under the state <coughs> definition, or is there some federal definition you're asking us to employ? Um, it, it seems to me that the states would be free to define mental retardation, uh, and as I say, many use the definition they already have uh, that their clinicians are accustomed to, as so long as the definition they chose carried with it the core principles of the definition of mental retardation that this court discussed in Penry. That is to say, a measured intelligence in the bottom uh, 2% um, in the bottom 2.5% of the population or two standard deviations below the mean, plus an impact on the real-world functioning of the individual. And well, as this actually links up to the consensus problem. Uh, if you take, I don't think a poll is relevant, but, but assuming you took a poll, and said, should you execute the retarded? I think most people would have in, in, in mind an image of mental retardation, which doesn't reflect the sophistication of the DSM, which talks about mild retardation, uh, and define somebody who's mildly retarded as educable, uh, with an IQ of maybe as high as, uh, in that range of, of 70 with, with some, um, <coughs> with some room for statistical error, do the states have some leeway in defining retardation uh, that's any different than what's in the DSM? Um, with, regard to, with regard to details, as I suggested a moment ago, they, there, there's room for some um, uh, difference. But with regard to the core principles, which I take to be at the center of your, uh, of your question, are we describing the same group of people? Yeah. Um, what we've discovered in the states is that they've all come to essentially the same conclusion, which is all the people who fall within the AMR or DSM-4 uh, TR uh, definition are the people that they chose to protect. And going to your earlier point about uh, what people know about the level of functioning of individuals with mental retardation. Yes, Ron. Uh, other than parents, uh, parents I put aside, there is, I think, no group in this country more aware of the variety among people with mental retardation and the levels of functioning at each level than state legislators. Well, this, this goes to the where, where is the burden of proof in a case like Supposing your view is adopted, the state charges capital murder. Is the burden of proof on the defendant to show that he's retarded? Yes, Your Honor. Every state that has enacted a statute has placed the burden on the defendant, although they have done it in somewhat different ways. Mr. Ellis, what about this very case? I mean, there was some confusion, but the Virginia Supreme Court uh, seemed to doubt that this person would qualify as mentally retarded. Would, if, if you would prevail, wouldn't there have to be a remand on that question? Um, obviously, in our, we would not be... Uh, uh, totally disappointed if this court were to resolve that question, but the, 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 the likelihood and prospect of a remand obviously would an be an appropriate response um, so that the Virginia courts who did not uh, in this case have before them mental retardation as a legal question that was going to decide anything. It was simply an observation in the course of making... Um, uh, well, what precisely did the Virginia Supreme Court say about this defendant and... I, I think maybe the, 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 the Virginia Supreme Court's uh, uh, decision on that can be best characterized as expressing um, um, concern as to whether or not the individual, in this case Mr. Atkins, had mental retardation because of the testimony of Dr. Samenow uh, that suggested um, that there had not been a full uh, demonstration of the impact of his impairment um, in his life, the second prong of the death. Can you tell Mr. Ellis, apart from the consensus argument and these details, is what is the real reason behind your position? Why, what's wrong with executing the mentally retarded? Um, in, in our view, Your Honor, the people with mental retardation who have both that intellectual functioning 
um, as the core, and it has manifested itself in their life throughout their life, those individuals, in our view, lack the culpability or blameworthiness <coughs> because their understanding of their actions, their understanding of the context in which their actions took place. Well, why are they subject to criminal liability at all, then? Um, they are subject to criminal liability because it isn't our contention that they, for example, can't tell, if, uh, to use the, the language in, in, in Virginia's uh, defense of insanity, that they can't tell right from wrong. What we're suggesting, so we're not suggesting they can't be punished. What, we're, what, we're, what we are contending is that though they can be punished, the death penalty is different, and it is reserved for those whose understanding is sufficiently um, clear that the penalty of death can be appropriate. So nothing wrong with putting a retarded person, um, and we know that there's a problem with definition, but uh, in, in jail for life, uh, in solitary, you, know, you can exercise in a cage. N nothing in the ruling that we seek here would preclude the state from imposing the most serious penalty it has other than the penalty of death. Most states do. A number of the states that have passed statutes have explicitly provided in those statutes that an individual exempted from the death penalty by the statute will be subjected to, and then it explicitly says, in some cases, life uh, imprisonment without possibility of parole or whatever the heaviest Should the penalty. test be the same as for executing someone with a mental illness? We, we have dealt with that and, and with the level of comprehension that someone must have in order to be eligible for the death penalty who has mental illness. Should the test be the same? Um, Your Honor, I believe you're dis discussing the Ford uh, issue with regard to competence to be executed. I read the Ford case as suggesting that whether the individual had mental illness or mental retardation, if, if that individual lacked the understanding as execution uh, became imminent, that, they that the state would be precluded from executing. This situation that test not adequate here, in your view? That, that test, it seems to me, is not adequate for several reasons. One is that the Ford holding focuses on a defendant um, and, and his mental state late in the process as, as execution is impending. The mental retardation question, as addressed by the states in, in the years since Penry, focuses on the individual's mental functioning at the time of the crime. What, what, about, our me, uh, what about our mental uh, illness cases dealing with the time of the crime? Why aren't they sufficient to indeed excuse somebody who couldn't help himself? You're, you're saying these people can help themselves. They did know the difference from right to wrong, but what, they're, they're, they're slower than others and therefore shouldn't be executed? Yes, they're, they're, that their understanding was of necessity limited by their mental function. Well, their understanding of, I mean, they have to have known that what they were doing is wrong. In order to be convicted yes. um, in any of these states, yes. So isn't that the only thing that bears upon culpability? Um, it, it seems to me, Your Honor, that it is not, because, because under our system of capital punishment, as it has been shaped by the decisions by this Court, we don't say the death penalty is available for everyone um, who can be punished. Um, the, the Court, through a variety of mechanisms, including the mitigation system, has said um, that uh, among those who can be punished, um, some can be punished by death and others not. In a number of those cases, this Court has reached categorical rules, which is what we see here. Yes, but, but those rules were based upon the fact that some people are not as culpable. Their crime was not as heinous and so forth. You have to narrow the category to those people who are really morally reprehensible. Uh, I do not see the necessary connection between, between intelligence and moral reprehensibility. Unless you truly think that, uh, I guess that, I guess the result of your argument is that there that there there, there is more crime um, among among the mentally retarded because they don't really understand uh, the consequences of what they're doing. Is is that a demonstrable proposition? I don't think it, it is, is not, and I think it's untrue. Yeah, I think it's totally untrue. So I, I don't. So so what we're saying in 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 response to to, to, to your question, what we're saying is that a person who commits an act, who has mental retardation, who commits an act which is subject to punishment, does so within the scope of the limitations imposed by his disability. And that may allow him to form a criminal intent sufficient to satisfy the criminal law for punishment in general. But in our view, and now the view of, of the people of the states manifested in these statutes and of the people manifested in the Congress, those individuals who can be punished 
as individuals under the age of 16 can be punished, cannot be punished uh, by the penalty of death, because as this Court frequently reminds, death is different, different calculus, a different set of concerns. The judgment by the people as expressed in their legislatures has been, these are individuals for whom we do not want the death penalty used. It's not in — And what is, the, what is the reason? I mean, you, you — in, in responding to Justice Scalia's question, you, you point out, well, these people pass the, the test of, of comprehension, uh, uh, which is a, a condition of culpability for execution. What test don't they pass? What is the reason for this emerging consensus? The principal reason, and, and it has changed a little bit as, as, the, as the process has gone on, the original and continuing principal reason is that people, um, as, as expressed to the legislature, have reached a judgment that someone whose intellect is at this level and who has grown up with that limitation on their ability to learn, because age of onset is part of the definition of mental retardation as well, are not individuals for whom death is an appropriate No, I, I realize that that's the judgment they are reaching. And you want us to recognize that judgment is now having constitutional significance. What I want to know is why are they reaching that judgment? What is the reason that elevates that judgment to one of constitutional significance? Uh, I, I guess the, the, the converse of my question is we're not here simply to add up numbers and say, oh, when it gets to 37, uh, the result is different. Uh, you're, you're asking us to make a different kind of, of uh, draw a different kind of conclusion. Uh, and what I want to know is what is it behind the judgment of these emerging states as a reason that should recommend itself to us? And, and as I said, the, the principal focus is on the understanding of people of what the limitations imposed on people with mental retardation are and how it affects they, their comprehension. Their they know it's wrong, but they don't appreciate how wrong it is. I yes. mean, is that the idea? It, 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 is, it is that their understanding of the wrongness of their action may be incomplete and, in a sense, immature in the same way, or in a parallel way at least. Mr. Uh, Ellis, I thought that you had said something different in your brief, and it was that the people in this class have diminished capacity when it comes to the life or death decision. I thought you said that they will be smiling in the jury, and the jury will say, well, that, how inappropriate. They're not expressing any remorse. That they will not be able to communicate <coughs> as effectively with their, their counsel. That it's, that it's the image of this person when the life-death decision is made that may give false clues to the trier, to the jury, and that will uh, disable counsel from representing such a person on that life-death decision. You haven't said anything like that in your oral argument. And, and, and that was the point I was adverting, to, was adverting to a moment ago, that the principal reason is, as I've suggested, um, the, the shared understanding of the diminished culpability of people with mental retardation. But increasingly, especially in the last three or four years, there has been a second and secondary reason for enactment of the statute, which is a growing concern that individuals with mental retardation facing capital charges present a particularly and uncomfortably large possibility of wrongful conviction and thus wrongful execution. Um, the, the, the cases uh, in both Virginia uh, and in Illinois over the last few years have made what I acknowledge is a secondary argument, but one which comes up in legislative discussions with increasing frequency, that just in, in just the way that you were describing, that the process of adjudicating in a capital case someone who has mental retardation and whose understanding that is that limited may, through a variety of mechanisms, increase the likelihood of wrongful conviction and thus unjust execution. Counsel is not able to bring that to the jury's attention? Counsel and say, ladies and gentlemen, the jury, in, in fact, he can bring mental retardation uh, to the attention of the jury as a basis for the, for, for the jury's deciding not to execute the person. Can, can he not? He, he clearly There's can. no question that in all states he can do that. That's right. So you're saying uh, the jury is not constitutionally even allowed to, uh, to be given the option. And, and counsel can say to the jury, uh, during this trial, you, you, you may see my client smiling inappropriate at some points, uh, you should know that this is 
this is because he's mentally retarded. He really doesn't fully comprehend what is going on here, and I ask you not to take his his reactions into account. It seems to me that would just reaffirm the uh, the more he'd smile, the more jur- the jury would say, "Boy, this this person really shouldn't be executed. He's uh, he, not playing with a full deck or whatever." There, there may well be cases in which that would be effective in guarding against that concern, but that also backs into the problem this court observed in Penry, which is in case-by-case determination, particularly in cases in which juries are making the decision, that mental retardation may in fact be a two-edged sword, that, that, the, that the juror in evaluating whether or not to impose the penalty of death may see mental retardation not only as a mitigating or potentially mitigating factor, but may also see it as tied to prospective dangerousness. That issue is, per, is, is present everywhere, it seems to me. It is particularly present. Isn't it present in all cases of um, mental illness as well? Is, is, is the difficulty of, of case by case? Yes. It, 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 uh, your arguments seem to be equally applicable to those who are mentally ill. It's a two-edged sword, in effect. It, it is, but unlike mental Ill, in, in the case of mental illness, unlike mental retardation, there has not been a manifestation of a national consensus, either in legislation or elsewhere, that suggests the American people have rejected but the But the reasons you put forward to us seem to me remarkably the same. The, the, the reasons Am that I I've right? offered w- w- would apply to other defendants who don't have mental retardation, Right. But, but they are not so closely tied to the defining characteristics of a class as they are here to have produced that consensus. All right, so come back and tell us how we know when there's a consensus. Your Honor, it seems to me that I read this Court's cases as saying that they will, that, that the Court will look to, that, that in prospective cases you will look to a variety of forms of evidence, but that any proffer of evidence of a consensus, which does not have substantial and, there's in one case, a discussion of recent uh, formulation of that consensus into um, enactments by the legislature will be viewed with skepticism or, in fact, uh, more. How many states still allow the execution of retarded? Theoretically, there, there could be 20. There, there, there How many of those states have there been executions of retarded people since Penry, the last uh, 20 um, years? I count two. We, we cannot be sure, but it is roughly two or three, yes. Um, so you, you have less, less than half of the states that have ca- capital punishment make an exception for the mentally retarded, and you say that that constitutes a consensus. It less than half. Not, not by itself. I, I can see the argument that there's a consensus on the other side, <laughs> since the other side seems to be in the majority, but you say less than half represents a consensus. I, I'm not sure that, that, that we could conclude, for example, that people in the states that don't have the death penalty approve its imposition or if they adopted a death penalty would include within the scope well, of the We're looking state. to legislation, and, and we — We're saying 48 constituted a consensus. Uh, well, that, that, is, that is another way of counting, and, and I, don't, I don't want to slip into what — uh, an amicus on the other side referred to as the counting of noses. This is a serious business, as this Court has recognized, and the fact that the Court has not treated large states differently from small suggests that the Court is looking at these enactments not only to count up the jurisdictions that have adopted them, but also to see whether the process by which they have been enacted is revealing of a settled moral judgment, in this case, a moral judgment of revulsion. Settled. The but, but we also said in Penry that you, you know, the argument was made to us that there was an emerging consensus, and we rejected that. We said an emerging consensus is not enough. There has to be a consensus. And, and our position on the basis of what has happened in the 13 years since Penry is that the consensus that was then emerging is now manifest, uh, both in the legislation and in every other indicator we have of public sentiment. I'll reserve Paul, you're not talking about polls if you're talking about public sentiment, are you? It, it seems to me, Your Honor, that the, that the polling information, which was quite scanty then and is now quite full, as suggested in the AMR amicus brief in McCarver, is part of the picture. The well, wouldn't you expect, if people feel that way, it would be, would be manifested in legislation? And increasingly it is. Yes, but are you saying that somehow polls are to be considered in addition to legislation? Polls, it seems to me, Your Honor, are a way of, of, of viewing the legislation, of seeing whether or not the consensus that legislation appears to reveal is, in fact, Yeah, and, and I take it 
polls should be admitted in, uh, if we're going to talk about polls as contributing this discussion, they should be admitted in the trial court and subject to examination by the other side. Are any, have any of yours done that? Um, I, I don't believe I, I — I'm trying to think of a case in which uh, polling has played a part in the trial court, and, and I believe it has not, none comes to mind. None comes to mind. I'd like to reserve the rest of my time. Very well. Uh, Ms. Rumps, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Yes. Thank you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. What is at stake here is this Court's long-established jurisprudence in, of individualized sentencing in matters of the death penalty. Penry would have — not Penry, I'm sorry — Atkins would have this Court removed from individualized sentencing one whole group of people based upon one mere factor, and that is their alleged mental retardation. Well, the position of the Commonwealth of Virginia is that you can execute the retarded. Is that correct? Yes. The retarded individuals who, like Atkins, were found competent at the time of the crime, competent at the time um, to assist his lawyers, who were found guilty of a premeditated, deliberated, and calculated murder, and um, who... So any person who has the criminal responsibility can be executed no matter how retarded they are. That's your position. That is the position of the Commonwealth of Virginia, yes. And they, of course, the jury has to be instructed in, in, in keeping with Penry 1 um, about the mitigating value of the defendant's mental retardation. Yes, you, you, would, you would not say no matter how retarded. I mean, uh, presumably there's some point at which the retardation is so severe that the person does not comprehend what he's doing. Exactly, Your Honor, but But yeah, short of that, you're saying. But short of that, exactly. But and, the, and the DSMTR, um, 4TR, recognizes four different categories of mental retardation. As this Court noted in Penry, the profoundly or severely retarded are not likely to pe- face the prospect of punishment, and they're not really who we're arguing about here today. We're well, why don't we say the same thing, then, about, uh, about children, about young people, so long as the state can prove the premeditation, the deliberation, the, the other uh, requirements of, of, uh, of mental culpability, let them be executed. But this Court has said that about 16-year-olds in Stanford. Well, let's take five-year-olds. Would, well, would you argue that five-year-olds should be executed if, if they have deliberated on, on, the, on the act and, and, and otherwise the state can prove the, the mental element? I think that, that, that that's an, um, unlikely to happen. But if, if, uh, if, if a person can, can deliberate and premeditate, and if a person can um, commit a brutal, calculated, premeditated murder, and if a person is found competent at the time he commits that murder and competent to assist his lawyers at the time of the trial, then we're not looking at somebody whose culpability is in any way less than yours or mine. Do you believe there is there is any role at all in in the uh, in Eighth Amendment jurisprudence, death penalty jurisprudence, I guess, uh, for for general rules to the effect that yes, there may in some instances, uh, let's say, of retardation, uh, be. Uh, be proof of uh, that would at least be enough to get to a jury on premeditation and, and, and deliberation and so on. Uh, but that the very fact of, of retardation makes it unlikely in most cases that this can be proven and makes the evidence at least highly debatable even in those cases that get to a jury. And therefore, the sensible thing to do in order to avoid a high risk either of wrong conviction or, in the case of, of the penalty phase, uh, a high risk of, of unsound judgments imposing the death penalty, there ought to be a cutoff point of some sort. There ought to be a cutoff of the high-risk cases from the general rules of proof. Do you, do you take the position that there is no place in, in death penalty jurisprudence for that kind of a, uh, we'll say, a high-risk cutoff rule? A high-risk cutoff rule of — I'm sorry, I didn't follow exactly — Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that, sure, there are cases of borderline retardation and so on in which uh, the, uh, the, there would be enough evidence to get to a jury on the various mental elements uh, for, a, for a capital sentencing. 
Uh, I'm also assuming that in cases of retardation, including retardation near the borderline, uh, that that evidence uh, is, is highly debatable in most cases. Uh, and it is sufficiently uncertain, it is sufficiently debatable, that there's a high risk that a jury is going to come to the wrong conclusion, that it's going to say, oh, yeah, this person really is the worst of the worst and sentence him uh, in, in a case in which that really is not so. Uh, and the reason for having a rule saying we're going to have a, a retardation cutoff, a person who is retarded will be ineligible for the death penalty, is to avoid those high-risk cases and avoid the risk, in effect, of wrong imposition of the death penalty. That's why we would have such a rule, quite apart from moral judgments or anything else. I'm just talking about this practical risk judgment. And my question to you is, do you say that our death penalty jurisprudence should have no place for such a a risk assessment rule? That's what individualized sentencing is. That is the risk assessment rule. That's what it's, It's very clear that within the category of those who ought to be subject to the death penalty, there should be individual assessment. I'm asking whether you believe that in risky cases there ought to be rules to eliminate the risk. And I take it your answer is yes, but I don't want to say that if, if, if I'm being unfair to, to your position here. I, I, you know, I, I don't want to play dumb here, Justice Souter, but I'm afraid I'm not understanding what you're asking me. I think that the risk assessments that you're talking about play into the, the concepts of individualized sentencing under the Eighth Amendment. The juries make those assessments. The juries determine whether someone is sufficiently culpable for the death penalty, and they determine whether his mental retardation is a mitigating factor sufficient to outweigh um, giving the, the defendant the death penalty. Well, also said, let's assume, because uh, I'd like to get the answer to Justice Sitter's question myself. Let's assume, you may disagree with it, let's assume okay. that there's a higher risk of inaccurate determinations by a jury, both for guilt and, and penalty, when the person is retarded. Let's assume that. You may disagree with that, but let's assume Okay, that. I'll assume that. Justice, Justice Souter asked the question, if there is that risk, is there a place in our Eighth Amendment jurisprudence for us to take account of that risk and draw some lines? No. I, I think, I, I, if I understand what you're asking is, 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 does the Eighth Amendment provide exemption from the death penalty to a class of persons who may be at a greater risk um, for a, an inappropriate death sentence? I, I don't think the Eighth Amendment plays into That's what the Eighth Amendment sets up individualized consideration and individualized sentencing for. Mr. Rumps, I, I, it's a hard question to answer because I guess you, you would need a definition of what constitutes an inappropriate or uh, improper death penalty. And we haven't we haven't established any guidelines. We have said you must leave it to the jury to take into account all mitigating factors. Whatever the jury considers mitigating, it may allow. In such a scheme, I don't know, it, it is meaningless to talk about an inappropriate death, uh, death sentence. There, there are no criteria. It's up to the jury. Whatever the jury considers mitigating, it may allow. And exactly. in that scheme, there, 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 there is not a proper or an improper death, uh, death sentence. Yeah, I well, guess you're talking about a class of You said this class of people, and I'm not sure you meant that, is no less culpable than you or me. But I thought the class of people we're talking about is a class of people that might simply barely understand what's going on. Barely, so they know right from wrong. But they can't understand anything complicated. They have a hard time functioning. Their emotions are no more different than yours nor mine than anybody's. So they feel things strongly. But they won't take in the nature of the punishment in all likelihood. And they're quite capable of following the leader, whoever is the leader nearby. And therefore, this class of people is different enough than you than me that we wouldn't say they are similarly culpable. 
And I guess in 48 of the 50 states, people have reached that conclusion. All right. Now, now that's, I take it, this case. And I say 48 because I want you to disagree with me so we can then explore that. <laughs> but I thought that that was, I mean, there's an argument. That it's I'll, I'll be here. I want you to address, A, I've tried to make a point, maybe they are not so culpable as you or me. And second, an awful lot of people in the United States seem to agree with that. Uh, in fact, I, I, now, those are the two things I want you to address. Well, first of all, I think this case is a perfect illustration of the first point. The first point being that, that they are, if you are found competent to stand trial and competent to assist your lawyers, you are like you and me. Daryl Atkins had a perfect understanding of the system, knew all about mitigation evidence, recommended witnesses to testify in mitigation, was um, competent to assist his lawyers, said he wanted his retardation put in front of the jury if it helped him. He had no deficits in understanding the system. Um, Moving on to the second point, um, 18 of the 38 death penalty states have formed or have enacted some sort, excuse me, some sort of laws prohibiting execution of the mentally retarded. The Commonwealth's position, however, is that that 18 is, is not written in stone because many of the statutes don't provide for retroactive application. So you're looking at the, 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 the question time. I have on that is, you want to say less than 18. I, I All right, I want to know why not far more than 18. And my reason for that is that in, of the remaining 20, see, there are two states that have executed retarded people, and they account, I gather, for about 7% of the population. But in the remaining states that haven't passed this law yet, why would someone feel a need to pass it? I notice, which I copied here, that the governor of Texas said, I'm, I, am, I am going to veto this law because we do not execute mentally retarded murderers today. Now, now he might have been wrong about that in Texas, I don't know. But regardless, why would a state that never even has executions, but they have it on the books, feel constrained to pass a law? Well, I I think that that the fact that 18 states have done so in the last um, 13 years it doesn't mean that, that those states were executing a lot of retarded people, and that's why the laws were passed. <laughs> well, that's an equally good assumption. Well, I assume an, uh, an even simpler assumption is that they were executing people. Let me ask you a kind of a, 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 a specific example of Justice Breyer's question. In, in your calculation, how do you account for, the, for a state like the one that I come from that has not executed somebody in over 60 years? Do you say, well, that's a state that apparently approves of executing the retarded? Uh, Do you say that's a state that shouldn't be counted at all? How do you account for that in your calculus? I don't know what state you come from. I'm from New New Hampshire, and the last execution was in 38 or 39. Um, I, I guess my answer to that is that this court has said that societal consensuses are formed, and when you're looking to see whether there is a societal consensus, you look to the statutes that the, that the legislators well, that, have passed. That, that, that's yeah, what I, we're asking about, and, and just, Justice Breyer's question, uh, as well as Justice Souter's, uh, is, I, I think must recognize the premise that one of the great facts of life in uh, American government is legislative inertia. Legislatures don't act unless they're prompted to do so. And a legislature is not going to just sit down and say, oh, I think it's a good time for us to pass a, a bill on, uh, against executing the mentally retarded if there's no such person on death row. They're, 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 legislatures just don't operate that way. Or there's no such person, person on death row who was not competent to, to, to commit his crime, was not competent at the time of his trial, was not competent well, to assist his well, lawyer. Well, do you, there's what, a difference what, there. What, what do we know, Ms. Rump, about the situation in the states, the 18 states which have prohibited the execution of the retarded? W- had they just gone through a tremendous number of retarded executions? 
I suspect not. Is there anything in the briefs that indicates why these states passed the legislation that they did? No, there's not. And I can speculate that it's a pretty potent anti-death penalty machine out there working. Justice Breyer says only two mentally reported people have been executed in the last I don't know what. So that couldn't explain these 18 states. So maybe legislatures do enact laws because they think they're good laws to enact. And maybe that's why the 18 did it. No, no, I said two in two, but it may be a few more. That's what I'm not. In two states, in those states that haven't enacted the laws. Of course, the ones that have enacted the laws don't have the executions. And some of them did execute mentally retarded people before they passed the law. Well, the Federal Death Penalty Information Center, if you get on their website, says that since Penry was decided in 1989, 25 mentally retarded people. We've gone through those and tried bit by bit. And most of them are in these states. And then some of them have IQs of 70 or over. And I would say in that they're erring on the side of counting mentally retarded. But if you draw the line at 70, look below it, you get to the numbers I had. I'm looking to you for giving me the good numbers and the lawyers. That's why I figured it out was two states, but I'm not certain. I think just because two states since 1989 have executed mentally retarded offenders doesn't mean that there aren't mentally retarded offenders in the pipeline waiting to become executed or waiting to go through their appellate process or coming up to trial. You know and I know that this is a very slow process. These cases drag on for years and years, decades. And when you look to a number like that, you necessarily have to figure in all the ---- Leave it at this, that since Penry, Penry, there is no consensus. Since Penry, 18 states have said by law no. And in the remaining states, we're pretty sure that two of them, accounting for about 7 percent of the population, have executed mentally retarded people. And maybe double that if you want. Triple it. Say they're 14 percent, 20 percent. Still, isn't that a consensus? Why not? Well, I guess I'd go back to what Justice Scalia said in one of his opinions, is that that may very well just be that juries and prosecutors in society believe that the death penalty ought to be imposed on the mentally retarded less often. Ms. Rubbs, if we stayed just with the 18 plus the 12 that don't have the death penalty, then we get up to, what, three-fifths of all the states. We get enough. Uh, to, for example, block a filibuster in the Senate. That's a supermajority. Why isn't that why doesn't that suffice? For two reasons. First of all, um, I don't think you can count 18 as 18 because in some of those states you can execute the mentally retarded. Now, there was a time in this court, wasn't all that long ago, when this court was making prospective declarations of unconstitutionality, this case and all future cases, not past cases. Maybe the states that haven't made it retroactive haven't gotten up to speed on uh, that once once we make a declaration of unconstitutionality, it's retrospective. Even given that, New York has in its statute specifically that people who commit murders while in prison can be executed even if they're mentally retarded. So you have to take New York from the list. Mentally retarded offenders can be executed in New York. Second of all, I don't think you can add the 12 non-death penalty states and to, to, to a, a, a number of death penalty states to try to form a societal consensus. Why not? Well, because they may have some bearing on whether there's an, uh, a consensus against the death penalty altogether. Right, and it but includes that. I can't imagine that you would say you couldn't count those states. Well, Wisconsin tomorrow may decide to adopt a death penalty statute, and if they do, they'll have to affirmatively, affirmatively legislate a number of things. They'll have to pick an age where it can be imposed. They'll have to decide whether they're weighing or non-weighing. They'll have to decide whether um, they're going to have a provision to execute the mentally retarded. All of those things have to be considered by the state legislature, and I don't think we can presume. Let me try this another way. Do you, do you concede that if there is a consensus, whatever that means, 
then this court should make the determination that we're asked to make here. No. You don't agree that if there's a consensus, then the Eighth Amendment would bar it? Um, no. And, and I think that um, this court said that might indeed be the law in Penry, but you say we were wrong there. No. I, I refer the court to Spanzano versus Florida, where the, where the court said, you don't just nose count. You, you have to look at the whole, the, the whole picture. And just because sister states decide to do one thing or not do other things doesn't necessarily bind the, 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 the this court and but you, you do not case. even accept the notion that if there is a consensus, and we find there is, that that answers the question. I take it you do not accept no, I, I think that Spensano says different. Well, do you accept the view that there is, in fact, uh, an evolutionary element in Eighth Amendment jurisprudence, that, in fact, it does change as, as, as societal notions of reasonableness in terms of cruelty? Well, this Court has said that there there is. That's the answer. You don't have to agree with it. The Court said that, right? You accept that? That's the position I'm in, too. (laughs) So you you accept that as the framework that we are supposed to be working in. You submit your case on the basis of that framework. That's what what this Court said. May I ask another question on a little different line? I think there's been sort of a consensus in the argument here that the number of executions of the mentally retarded is rather small. Yes. And does not that reflect the fact that juries generally are reluctant to execute the mentally retarded, to impose the death penalty on the mentally retarded? I I don't know that that reflects that. That that could reflect um, a a number of things. That could could reflect mitigation versus non-mitigation. It could reflect um, the brief. If if it is true, is is that not one of the facts on which the court relied in the rape case, holding that a crime of race could not be, uh, command the death penalty. Exactly. This Court looks at the laws and the application of the and laws. The, and the number of juries that refuse to impose the death penalty. And so that's part of the consensus is what the juries have done as well as what state legislatures have done. Is that not right? That is exactly yeah. right. But I don't think that you can infer that um, because there are X many of, of juries who have of given sentences to mentally retarded, that that means juries are, re- are reluctant to do it. There are very few uh, executions of women in the United States. There have been for many years. Uh, do you think we should make an exception to the death penalty for women? Absolutely Because not. juries so rarely impose it? No, but it is, it is part of our law. And I read you a sentence out of Coker against Georgia. It is true that in the vast majority of cases, at least nine out of ten, juries have not imposed the death sentence. And that was one of the reasons why the court held that the death sentence was unconstitutional. Well, I think that the fact that we're here arguing this case today is proof that juries do, in fact, give the death penalty to mentally retarded people. They they gave it. The Commonwealth's brief is is got two or three pages. No, the point isn't that they never do. It's the point that they rarely do. And the fact that they rarely do, like I said earlier, could mean that juries believe, just as Atkins's team believes, that it, sh- that it should be rarely imposed. Well, well it, it, it also may rep- represent a jury's belief that it is a mitigating circumstance of such force that they should be spared the death penalty. And I agree. And in this case, the jury was specifically told about Atkins's mental retardation. Two doctors testified about it at length, and two different sentencing juries, after hearing from Atkins's expert witness and after hearing the vile nature of his crime and about his 25 prior felonies, 24 jurors gave him the death sentence. Mr. Um, in making this cruel and unusual decision. This issue has come up before, but does what the rest of the world thinks about ex- executing the mentally retarded, does, should that have any relevance at all? I mean, we have, since the time we said we don't look to the rest of the world, been supporters of international human rights tribunals and for the former Yugoslavia, for the former Rwanda. but. Is it still, would you say, just irrelevant that most of the rest of the world uh, thinks that mentally retarded people, that it's inhuman to execute them? This Court has said previously that um, 
The notions of other countries and the notions of other lands cannot play the deciding factor. Not what, deciding. I asked you if it was relevant. Well, it is relevant, in, as Justice Scalia said in one of his opinions, to determine whether our practice is a historical accident or not. But it certainly is not relevant in deciding the Eighth Amendment principle. Most of the world uh, would not execute rocket scientists. Isn't that right? Including the European Union? I mean, Most of the it, would not execute rocket scientists. Yeah, the majority of the of the of the of the planet is should abolish the death penalty. If that's, if that's to be a concern, I asked uh, if it was relevant. And, and I didn't ask if it was dispositive. It's not dispositive, and it is relevant once the Eighth Amendment principle has already been established. It's not relevant in establishing whether something is cruel and unusual. Why do you need it after it's been established? You don't. You 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 look at you look after the fact a, a, to see whether. I, I guess my answer, I guess, is it's not relevant. That's what I thought. I, uh, is it's not to, relevant? I, I did not have a chance to ask uh, petitioner's counsel because uh, his rebuttal time was running up, but it's important to me. Uh, mentally retarded people constitute about one percent of the general population. I looked through the briefs and just could not find. Are, are there any statistics that you know? Uh, that tell us what the uh, uh, prison population uh, percentage of mentally retarded people are. What, what is the mentally retarded population of the criminal system generally? Do you know? I don't know. And, and it w would there be was the same as the general population or higher? I, 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 I couldn't speculate. We don't, we, don't we don't know, and it's not in this record, um, what the what the prison population of mental retarded people are. What is the status of the legislation in Virginia on this point now? Um, it was, it didn't pass the House. It passed one House, but not the others? Passed by camera legislature of Virginia, passed the Senate, didn't get out of the House. Was it voted on in the House? Um, I don't know. I thought it wasn't voted on. I don't believe it was voted on. I think it was, it was, it was, it died in a committee, I think. I'm not positive about that. I was actually here when they did that, and I wasn't. Uh, I, I know that it, did, it didn't get past the House side of the of the General Assembly. To to sum up, um, the national consensus issue is the key issue here today, and this court needs to, as as the earlier argument or the earlier comments were, the court needs to recognize, as, as Justice. O'Connor, you recognized in Thompson, and Justice Scalia, you mentioned today, any decision this court makes regarding this issue is irreversible. It is likely irreversible. These states who have enacted these laws, these 18 states that have enacted these laws, um, the longest one has been on the books for 13 years. Some of them have been on the books for less than a year. On average, they've been on the books for an average of five years. Well, a national consensus has to be broad, clear, and enduring. Certainly, statutes with an average age of five years don't establish an enduring national consensus against something. Um, that's a blip in the radar screen of public opinion, or to borrow from Justice Scalia, it's a pendulum swing in public opinion. Now, these state legislatures may decide in How two years... How do you say it's a pendulum swing when it's all in the same direction? It's a pendulum swing one way. It only goes in one direction at a time, doesn't it? Exactly. <laughs> I thought so. But my point is this practice has been allowed since the Bill of Rights was adopted in 1789. And we have 18 states, some of which can't decide in between themselves whether the mentally retarded should or shouldn't be executed, with an average age of five years. Now, certainly, five years is insufficient to determine whether there is an enduring national consensus against something. These states, as somebody recognized here earlier, may determine in two or three years that this is an experiment that well, just didn't work. Well, do you work. accept that there's a consensus and want to argue it's just not enduring? Or what is it you're arguing? No, I, I, I think there's not a consensus. First of all, and my backup position is, if there is a consensus, it certainly isn't one of an enduring nature. Um, I don't think 18, even if you say all 18 of the states and ignore the retrospective prospective, I don't think 18 out of 38 is a consensus. It's not even a majority, let alone a consensus. But even putting aside that for the matter, 
you, even if you put that aside, we don't have anything that's enduring. We don't have anything that shows that the long-term public opinion is against execution of the mentally retarded. We have a blip in the radar screen of public opinion, which may change in two years. It may change in three years. If Osama bin Laden was brought back to the United States tomorrow, found to be mentally retarded and not being able to, execu- to be executed, public opinion would change. And there would be, uh, th- th- there, the blip in the radar screen would go away and the p- public opinion would be something different. But if this court were to constitutionalize the prohibition, the public wouldn't have any opportunity to change their mind. And as this court has said before, the states are laboratories. The states are laboratories for novel social experimentation. Well, this experiment is just beginning. This court, this, the, 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 there's, there's, this court should not call a halt to an experiment that has been on average for five years, especially when, as Justice O'Connor, you recognized in, in Thompson, that halt could be irreversible. And if there are no further questions. Thank you, Ms. Rumps. Mr. Ellis, you have a little less than a minute left. I'll endeavor uh, um, to answer a couple of the questions that this Court raised. First, with regard to Justice Kennedy's question about prison population, we don't have reliable statistics. There is some indication, especially for very low-level crimes, that there may be a higher level of people with mental retardation than in the general population. With regard to the states, Spaziano, it seems to me, is a very uh, important case here because it says we're not simply counting up states. We're seeing whether the states have reached a moral judgment, have reached a conclusion that the, in this case, the understanding of people with mental retardation, their ability to control their behavior, their understanding of the context in which they behave, the maturity and responsibility with which they reach moral judgments, is, uh, makes the death penalty unacceptable. Thank you, Mr. Ellis. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until Monday next at 10 o'clock.